at the fringes of perception, beyond the boundaries of your mind, just past the glow of the firelight, out of the corner of your eyes, you will find an edge case. Edgecase Podcast coming September 10th. Learn more at edgecasepod.com. This is Macabre Grimoire with Airy Show, Travis Nye. And Robert Maley. Propaganda is the executive arm of the invisible government. From Propaganda by Edward Bernays, 1928. Welcome to Macabre Grimoire, Chapter 25. Edward Bernays. My name is, I'm your host, Aries Show, here with my co host, Robert Mayling. Hey, hey, hey. And missing tonight, and for a little while, is going to be Travis. So. You won't get to hear the dulcet tones of his voice. No. Nope. Uh, gift your ears with its presence. I don't. Uh, it's hard to pump up Travis. <laughs> <laughs> Travis, hard to get hyped about. <laughs> hard to build hype. Uh, I'm so. I'm kidding. No, we we miss him and. Uh... Wish him all the best on all the messes he's having to clean up or whatever that led to this. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have a few Wednesdays without him, but uh, hopefully you'll indulge us and uh, as we go along here. It'll be a twofer for a while. Yeah, absolutely. So fun. Oh, my gosh. This Okay, so the name Edward Bernays sounded familiar to me, and I didn't realize that there was so much with him oh yeah so it's crazy (laughs) are you distracted right now a little bit all right well then i'll just fill fill the air with um okay i'm okay i'm ready you're ready you're ready now for real yep okay sorry okay go ahead so edward lewis bernays was an american or was an austrian american pioneer in the field of public relations and propaganda Referenced in his obituary as the father of public relations, Bernays was named one of the most hundred influential Americans of the 20th century by life. Here are some of his well, more well-known accomplishments. He is responsible for convincing American men to ignore the fa- feminine stereotype of bracelets and to see wristwatches as more manly and practical than pocket watches. He's an influencer before there were influencers. He invented influencing. Yeah, he did. Uh, Making smoking in public socially acceptable for women, which that is a crazy story that we will get into. Okay. Like his campaign for that is like, it's basically like guerrilla marketing before there was guerrilla marketing. Oh. It's fucking brilliant. Oh, interesting. Let's see. Promoting the first NAACP convention uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, without triggering any violence or counter demonstrations. Hmm. Popularizing ivory soap. That's weird. Helping re-elect Calvin Coolidge. Orchestrating the nationwide Lights Golden Jubilee, honoring Thomas Edison on the 50th anniversary of his invention of electric light. Hmm. Making bacon and eggs a popular American breakfast. That's weird. 
Yeah, before that, apparently, Americans had eaten really light oh, really? breakfasts. Like, it was not nor breakfast was not a sit down meal with like a protein and like a like we think breakfast today. And it's just oh, this yeah. like, ex it's like that's my biggest meal of the day, always by far. And it's like right. my favorite meal. And uh, most people, it's just like, yeah, grab, grab a thing of toast or, you know. Oh, sure. Like, a biscuit, like in the Civil War, you'd hear like a biscuit and some bacon or something oh, like with a, sure. like a strip of bacon, and their idea of biscuit was like hard tack. Like oh, that's that's the only time I ever have heard before Bernays came along anyone referencing bacon at breakfast ever it was in Civil War stuff. So so hang on, so he was in like the twenties, right? Uh, well, here's the deal: he starts off in the like the teens and the twenties. The twenties is kind of his like the beginning of his prime. Okay. But he actually, well, we'll get into it, but uh, he did not die that long ago. Oh, really? Yeah. So here's, so here's the point I'm trying to make. If you think about breakfast being like grab a slice of bread or grab a slice of toast and be okay. Like the, the nutritional value in bread at that time was probably, was much higher than it was before, like um, commercialized and, um, factory made bread was actually a thing before they started stripping down the nutrients and making like the enriched flour and adding tons of sugar. You know what I mean? And so it was, it was more nutritionally dense at the time, you know, back then versus how it is now. Yeah. But you know, just to, to reemphasize it, it's just like, it was not like, it was like a, like, you know, like it's the kind of thing that nowadays you just grab a go bar or cliff bar oh, or something sure, like that sure, kind sure. of like meal. That was a, that was the extent of breakfast. Nice. And he flipped that on its head because there was a grocery company that wanted to sell more bacon, and so he made a hearty breakfast all about bacon and eggs, and he did it with a mailing campaign to all these different doctors and stuff like that, and it was pretty crazy. Oh man. Let's see. We'll skip through some of these other ones. Uh, the big ones that I want to hit on, though, engineering the overthrow of a socialist government in Guatemala. Whoa. Because the private sector was not the only group interested in him. In fact, a big part of how he got his start was working for Woodrow Wilson and drumming up support for World War One, which was kind of the inspiration for that book yeah. uh, prop that he eventually wrote about what he does that oh, he called sure. Propaganda. Hmm. So let's see. Uh, when Bernays was very young, he graduated from Cornell in uh, 1912 and decided to pr pursue a career in journalism. Bernays became the editor of the Medical Re uh, Review of Reviews in New York City. In 1913, he learned that an actor, Richard Bennett, planned to produce Damaged Goods, a play warning of the dangers of venereal disease, but the controversial nature of the subject made it difficult for Bennett to raise any funds for the project. Uh... Bernays volunteered to help. He set up a social fund committee to finance the production and rally public support. Bernays enlisted so, uh, so many of the city's notables to the good cause that no one, not even the censors, could question the total respectability of the play. You know, kind of the early seeds of just like, you know, he, he can turn turn anything into acceptable. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah. Because back then they were very like, oh my gosh, you can't do a public play about this kind of subject. <laughs> So damaged goods opened without incident and was hailed as a valuable contribution to public awareness. Bernays had found his new career. Interesting. From 1913 to 1917, Bernays worked as a publicist for theater productions and promoted the appearances of such artists as Enrico Curacao and Diagla... Diagla Laviv? Yeah. Diagla... Yeah, 
uh, ballet company. When the United States entered World War I, Bernays offered his services to the government's Committee on Public Information. The committee, headed by ex-newspaper man George Creel, uh, was designed to generate public support at home and abroad for America's war aims. Hmm. So in 1919, after service with the American Peace Commission in Paris, Bernays returned to New York City to apply the methods of the Committee for Public Information to the business world. His partner in the new venture was journalist Doris E. Fleischmann. Uh, they married in 1922. For some years, entertainers and corporations had employed press agents to secure favorable notice in newspapers. But as the world's first council on public relations... Uh, Bernays had loftier ambitions. He promised to actively shape public opinion in the interests of his clients. Whoa. So starting off, Bernays campaigned uh, for Vienda, Hairnets, and Procter and & Gamble during the 1920s, and famously Lucky Strike Cigarettes during the 1930s to provide good examples of his methods. Uh, at the time of shorter hair, at the time shorter hairstyles were becoming more f- fashionable, a young monk among younger women, younger women, the development was uh, good grief. You want me to do this? <laughs> the development was a matter of no small concern to the manufacturers of hairnets, who saw the market for their product disappearing without longer uh, tresses. Bernays was called upon for his advice. Soon, prominent women be- were publicly expressing their preference for long hair over short hair. Good God. And assorted authorities were warning of the dangers of unbound hair in factories and restaurants. Oh, yeah. In response, the number of state governments... Oh, good. Go- yeah, of course. Like the like the salvating dogs they are. Mm-hmm. A number of state governments passed legislation requiring the wearing of hairnets on the job. I mean, like, some, some places it makes sense. Some places it totally makes sense. But that's that's what blows my mind. It's like... We didn't. We don't have laws about that because they made sense. We have laws about that because some evil genius in the 1920s was like mm-hmm. trying to su- get people to have longer hair. Right. 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 Oh my gosh. So let's see. Despite Bernays' best efforts, the hairnet was uh, destined to pass into near oblivion. Far more successful was his campaign for Procter and Gamble's ivory soap. On the company's behalf, he hired a medical consultant to survey American hospitals on their preference for white, unperfumed soap like soap like ivory over colored, scented soaps, its competitors. The advantages of ivory, now du- duly certified by medical authorities, were given wide publicity in addition. Bernays uh, designed a number of special events to keep the name of ivory soap constantly in the public. Under the urging... Under his urging, Procter & Gamble established an ivory soap sculpting contest judged by prominent artists that eventually involved millions of schoolchildren across the nation to promote ivory's unparalleled ability to, uh, to float. The company sponsored a soap boat race in New York, uh, New York Central Park. Oh my gosh. You know, nowadays this would just be like considered like good marketing. And oh it's yeah. Just, but it's just like he was the first one to be like, let's do this. Yeah. Let's do this. Yeah. I just, I love the hustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course... Like when it's later on used for evil, and why Bernays, why we're even talking about Bernays, is because he's like the center of a giant nexus of conspiracy theories and stuff like that. Because he literally invents the idea of propaganda, so we can be like, "Oh, that's cool. He really is good at selling soap." But it's like that yes. same acumen that's <laughs> he learned that selling war in World right, War One. Right. 
Stranger Still was Bernays' solution to the problem of women's aversion to Lucky Strike cigarettes, Forest Green Pack. Women were just starting to be able to smoke in public in the early 30s and found that the pack clashed with their wardrobes. <laughs> Rather than change the pack color, which was rejected by the parent company of Lucky Strike's American Tobacco as being too expensive, Bernays instituted a plan instead to change women's fashion to match the cigarette pack. Letters were written to interior and fashion designers and department stores and prominent women of society pushing green as the new hot color of the season. Balls, gallery exhibitions, window displays all featured green after Bernays got through with them. The result was that green did indeed become a very hot color in the 1934 fashion season. And Lucky Strikes kept their pack color and fem uh, female clientele intact. That's messed up. So they're not even telling here the story about... Uh, um, his, uh, so one of the other things he did to popularize it, because this was also the era of like the women's suffrage movement, oh, yeah. women's mm -hmm. liberation, stuff mm -hmm. like that was just starting to like show up a little bit, kind of the precursor to like what you'd see in the 70, uh, 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so one of the things he did was, I think it's the St. It's either the like Independence Day Parade or the St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York. The whatever the biggest parade in New York yeah. was one year in here in this in the same time period where he's working for Lucky Strike. He got a whole bunch of women to march in the parade, smoking cigarettes, just walking along smoking cigarettes, and they were all models, of course. And uh, he had a like a slew like put out press releases to every newspaper you could imagine about these uh, young, hip, women's lib movement women who were handing out their freedom torches. And they literally called them freedom torches. Oh, my God. And so then it became the hip thing with young women. It's just like, this is how I show my freedom, my freedom torch. And, uh... <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. So, you're already in the country. Like, why do you need to show off your freedom in the country? Like... <clears throat> Well, they're women who wanted the right to vote and wanted, oh, okay, and okay, more oh, that's true. That's, stuff like that. That's, that's, that's I get it they, now. That's the angle they're going for. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Sorry, I get it now. All right. Uh, da, 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 da. So Bernays earned his greatest fame through uh, his promotion for the electrical industry in the on the fiftieth anniversary of the light bulb in nineteen twenty nine. Celebrations were held in twenty five cities. Uh, Thomas Edison's birthplace was made a national landmark and a commemorative stamp was introduced by the federal government. The anniversary year culminated in a Golden Jubilee celebration held in Dearborn, Michigan in, on October 21, 1929, in which Edison was publicly honored by President Herbert Hoover, uh, Henry Ford, and John D. Rockefeller Jr. Man. Bernays provided public relations counsel to a wide variety of, pub, of private and public organizations, including General Motors, the Columbia Broadcasting System, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, and Columbia University. In 1939, he was publicly director of the New York's World Fair. During uh, World War II, his services were called upon by the Army, Navy, and the Commerce and Treasury Departments. After the war, he act was actively involved in the government's foreign information program. Which is where we start getting into the coups and the stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Bernays drove uh, throughout his uh, long career to raise the status and standards of his perfection, or profession. His lectures on public relations in 1923 New York University were the first held on the subject at a major university. He was published widely in his field and included such classic works as Crystallizing Public Opinion, 
public relations and the engineering of consent. Whoa. Uh, just the titles of those books are like so ominous. And if you really want to check out just like some highlight reel, we've got a link in the show notes to uh, the wiki, the wiki of quotes. And it just has a whole list of quotes from those books. And that's where like the top one that I read at the beginning of this episode was from. Mm -hmm. They're all like, there's so many of them. They're just like chilling or just kind of like, Jesus, this guy was saying this a hundred years ago. I was like, holy cow. Let's see. Bernays retired in the early 1960s, but continued as a consultant and advocate for public relations into his hundredth year. He also quite ironic, uh, Ironically, in light of his work with Lucky Strike Cigarettes in 1930s, worked as an anti-smoking crusader. He died on March 9th in uh, 1995 in Cambridge, Massachusetts, at the age of 103. Uh, Called uh, nothing more than a huckster by his critics, Bernays nonetheless shaped our perception of the world we live in today. Uh, Neil Gabler wrote of Bernays in Bernays' retrospective in the New York Times magazine, uh, he not only taught generations of persuaders how to sway public opinion, but he was, in the cultural historian Ann Douglas's words, the man who orchestrated the commercialization of our culture. Oh, man. Yeah, he basically built it all. Yeah, or like how we see it. Uh-huh. So this this part didn't get into it much, but uh, the big thing is, are you familiar with like United Fruit Company, Chiquita Banana, and Guatemala? Mm-hmm. Like how they over the CIA overthrew their basically democratically elected government because it was socialist and because it was going to nationalize their their bananas. What? Banana yes, that's where the that's where the you've heard the term banana republic. Oh yeah, yeah. That's where that term comes from is Guatemala because the U.S. government literally overthrew a government for bananas. And so, and then installed a friendly government, literally for the purpose of keeping banana prices down for United Fruit. That's fucked up. And they did it over and over and over again in the fifties and sixties. Oh man, we're so bad. And you could, and you could argue that they kept it going and keep going. I mean, like, yeah. why were we in Iraq instead of right. Afghanistan or Saudi Arabia? You know, it right, just... right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, you know, it just like the whole idea of propaganda and manipulation. You should really read his direct sources. I can't do justice for them, but I mean, it gives you an idea of how much of the 20th century like is shaped by. You know, it didn't happen by accident that we all started listening to radio and started watching TV and things like that. Right. There, what it's these things didn't happen with like just organically growing, and there was no like central figure behind it. Those cult, those mediums were heavily centralized in control and it, in fact that's you know part of how it overcame like regional things was right. uh because you had these radio stations that could become syndicated and then broadcast all over the united states it's just like everybody's hearing the same message everybody gets the same message mm-hmm. it's kind of like when my parents were growing up and it's like you had the big big three or big four networks or whatever yep. and that's why those shows back then got it's like the population was much smaller but any show on any network got like 40 million viewers an episode because uh, that's all there was to watch. Which, oh, right. Like nowadays, it's considered on like cable. Mm-hmm. It It's considered a runaway success to get like one to two million viewers on a night. If you're like, a, if you're a basic cable show, oh, especially sure. like a syndicated rerun or something. Yeah, yeah. 
Like that's a big part of why Adult Swim makes so much money is because they regularly pull in like 1.2 to 1.8 million viewers for reruns of Family Guy, reruns of Futurama. Right, 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 right. That's a big part of their claim to fame and how they've made a lot of their money before Rick and Morty came along. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just I was just thinking about how how we're advertised to in the sense of like people think that it's normal to spend your evenings with the family in front of the TV because you see images you of that you see um, commercials dict you know picturing that so you start to think like well if that's how that family you know runs their life I, that must be how I need to run my life but really it's just the teeth it's just that vendor trying to say no 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 you need to stay home and you need to be watching us because then we make money so it's it's that trying to like trying to normalize a habit that basically isn't it doesn't have to be normal i mean you can definitely sit down and watch tv if you enjoy tv but i'm just but you know but you see what i'm trying to say oh yeah it's 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 just trying to create that image of like trying to because like trying to get people to you know getting the women to smoke saying this is our freedom torches by trying to normalize or make it hip, that this is what we do now because now it becomes so ingrained in what we, in like every day that people forget that, the, no, 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 that wasn't normal, that wasn't something that we did. This is just something that's, that basically your grandmother started and made it a thing, you know? I'm trying to think of things that just recently have become normal because of market trends or stuff like that, which, you know, part of it's technology. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to think of something that's just, cause I was going to say like video games or cell phones, but I'm trying to think of something that is just 100% like a invention of our culture that we do that has oh, like nothing sure, to sure. do with like a technological advancement. It's just, uh, someone decided this, uh, the colors of appliances, how they always switch between like silver and mm -hmm. then they switch back to black, and then they do this like every five years or so. So and it's like switch to white even, or yeah, or switch to white. Uh, granite countertops, uh huh, have become like the standard. It's like nobody wanted granite countertops no. yeah. ever, right? Like for the longest time, and now everybody wants them. And other countertops are seen as inferior. Right, 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 right. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's just funny how they try to sell something because they have a surplus of something or they want to make more money on, on a particular thing. And it's, and it's like, you know, you do your best as an individual by thinking for yourself and not falling for any of the hype on, on anything or just being too poor to afford it. That helps too. <laughs> yeah. But it's amazing the lengths that a poor person will go to even to like have a thing that's like, you know, it's just like otherwise it gives it actually gives you anxiety because you're outside the norm. Like humans right. are a tribalistic. We like, are creature, we absolutely social are. animals, mm -hmm. and so it's like hardwired, connected to your brain. The same part of your brain that's like, oh man, uh, everybody else dressed up for this event, and I came practically in my pajamas right. or in trashy clothes. That's directly tied like into the part of the brain that goes. You're outside the social group. Yep. You are going to die now. That's what your brain starts screaming. It's like, get back to the social group. You will die otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're not like the others. You're going to stand out. You will be picked off by, by predators. But, uh, yeah, there, there's that shame of, like, 
and that embarrassment. And then it's like, I mean, you don't know how, I mean, if you stay in your own bubble and you do your own thing and you don't pay attention to anybody else, it's not until you go to other people's, you know, residences that you start to see like, oh, oh God, like I'm so out of, like, like this is on trend now, or this looks so much nicer. You know what I mean? Like you don't know what the trends are, whatever, but but in order to feel socially accepted by other people, you try to like keep up with other people as far as like changing paint colors or changing decorations and yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just interesting how that psychology of that works. Um, God, there was something I was talking with a coworker. Um, I don't know if this applies to it. It probably doesn't, but I'll just, I'll just say it anyway. So, um, for when I was a kid, whenever we smiled for photos, I thought no matter what, you always had to say cheese. Like, <laughs> like you couldn't take the photo unless you said cheese because that was the rule. Yeah. Like everybody's like, say cheese. You have to say cheese. And so I was just like, okay, they can't take the photo until I say the word cheese. Now cheese in its in and of itself has nothing to do with the photo taking experience. You're not going to get cheese after it. It wasn't until I don't, I was probably embarrassingly old that I finally realized that, Oh, they just want me to smile, and by me saying cheese, I'm showing my teeth, which makes which makes me look like I'm smiling. So that's why we say cheese. But really, what they mean is smile. So <laughs> it took me a long time to realize that. You realize how much of of what we do and what we think is ritual. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, I just that's uh, I think that relates to it. <laughs> and if not, then. It's no, just a, it absolutely does. It just, you know, your parents influenced you. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, and they're just, and they were just trying to basically get me to behave in a way that was appropriate for t- photo taking, you know? And so, like, that's what you do. You say, say cheese because your, your teeth will show. But I don't know where they even, you know, I'm sure they got it from somewhere. But. Yeah, that was really, it seems like that was common when we were growing up, like in the 80s, stuff like that. That was... Always say cheese. Always say cheese. Because yeah. we, we did that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just think it's funny, though, that I, that I thought a photo couldn't happen until you said cheese. Like, that I was have, the password. I have, like, a dozen of those, and I, but I can't, for the life of me, remember a quick example. But Amanda's always picking them off and being like, you know you do that, and, like, no one else in the world does it that way, right? And I was Wait, like, really? Of what, saying cheese? No, oh. just... Things like that that I do. I'm trying to remember some direct examples, like uh, the way I say the word uh, uh, pumpkin. I say pumpkin. Yeah. And uh, I did not know that the correct way to say it was pumpkin until I was like 35. (laughs) That's so cute. (laughs) No No one corrected it for all those years. That's funny. That's really funny. I'm sure my mom enjoyed that phone call from 30-something son. Did you know pumpkin is actually pumpkin? (laughs) Well, you're spelling the word right. (laughs) You see all the letters in it. Yeah, that's funny. I can't really think of anything. I mean, mean, like, I know, like, there are certain words and stuff that I didn't know were words until I was, like, a really old age. Do you think we have free will, or do you think, like, everything... Is it 
do you believe in nature or nurture? Do you think that our environment and therefore like how much our environment is manipulated makes us who we are? Or do you think it's more who we are or do you think it's both? I think it's both. And I have a great story. Okay. Okay. Um, hopefully I didn't hype it up too much because <laughs> if this tanks, then whoo. Okay. So I have, so a friend of mine, her husband is adopted and in his adopted family, nobody likes meatloaf, but he loves meatloaf, absolutely loves it. And so um, for his birthday every year, his mom, his adopted mom would make him meatloaf, even though everybody else in the family hated it. Sure. And so it wasn't until he was married that... The, him and his wife decided that they wanted to find his ado- his birth parents. So they go on the journey um, with the blessing of his adoptive parents to find his birth parents. And they find they find them. And apparently his parents are still together. And it's a sweet story about, you know, how they, why they had to give him up and all this stuff. And, and then, um. I'm glad because I have friends that have done that and sometimes it doesn't turn out good when they find. Yeah, this was, this is one of those rare stories where it turned out really, really well. And not only that, but like to this day, I, to this day, like he has a great relationship with his birth parents and his adoptive parents. And like, even the both sets of parents are like pals. So it, it. Really just, like, an amazing situation. But what he found out was that his birth parents absolutely love meatloaf. And not only that, but his birth family made a recipe book of various meatloafs. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, that's how intensely they love meatloaf. So it's almost like it's in his DNA to love meatloaf, whereas he was raised in a family that hated meatloaf. So it's like, so it's, I I absolutely believe it's a little bit of nature and a little bit of nurture. So. That's crazy. That's awesome. Hopefully that was, that story paid off. (laughs) Yeah, that, that did pay off. That was awesome. (laughs) So, so yeah. I mean, what about you? Oh me, I, I think it's a it's a cocktail of both. Yeah, you know it's because <clears throat> clearly from Mister Bernays's work here, we can see that people can be influenced. There's oh, yeah. you know a, there's no doubt about the fact that people can be influenced by things they don't understand or even realize they are in fact being influenced, mm-hmm. and that a huge part of our modern capitalist you know social media driven economy uh, relies on that exact fact. Mm-hmm. But I like how your story brings out the fact that people have innate natures as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you are not, your surroundings and attempts at influencing you are not destiny. Right, right. Ne- neither is. Right. Your, your, your birth, your, you know, your DNA, stuff like that is not your destiny, nor is the, like, people that influenced you. Right, right. Like, you do have a choice. It's almost like there's free will or something, which what? crazy talk. <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, I don't know. My dad is so anti anything being like mainstream. Like if it's advertised, if it's hip, if it's popular, he wants nothing to do with it. Oh boy. Like do not suggest a chain restaurant to him 
at all under any circumstances, oh, he will lose his mind. Now, unless it was like someone's birthday or somebody was like, I really like this restaurant. I know, I know people like that and I find them like incredibly frustrating, especially like when you're <laughs> traveling with them or something like that. It's oh, like, sure. Can we, 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 we have a deadline. We can't spend a lot of time. Can we just do a drive through? Is that, is that no? Cause Fast food's the devil. Okay. Um, <laughs> now we gotta go fine. on this journey. I guess we'll leave the like business district main drag area and go find a hole in the wall. Goody, because their their output is never inconsistent. <laughs> yes. <Ugh. laughs> yeah. So I mean, it has its pluses and minuses, but I mean, you know, because he did recently though. Um, start shopping at Walmart occasionally. Oh, man. Which, when he said that, I was like, what? I mean, that's like, how much of a holdout. Who are you and what have you done with my father? Yeah, and he was a holdout for cell phones, too, just for that reason, because he's, a, he's like, everybody has a cell phone. He's like, I don't want a cell phone. But then it was like, it got to the point where it was like, Dad, you, we us. need to get a hold of Wanna you. <laughs> Google gobble. Wanna and now he loves us. it, so, yeah. But, yeah, that's... Uh, this has been Edward Bernays in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I encourage you to go check out the uh, the direct sources on this because this guy is like the father of, he's the nexus of so many online conspiracy theories. So it's just like, I kept looking at this one and that one. I was like, why don't we just go to the source and check out the guy who literally invented influencing people? There you go. So here you are, Edward Bernays, the father of propaganda and media relation or public relations. Also media relations, but yeah. Uh, let's see. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, Ari, great to have you back. Uh, we will do, uh, you know, a few more of these without Travis. Well, I think we can carry the show, figure out what we're doing. Yeah, we're fine. And uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, if you like what we do, be sure to check us out at thesueempire.com. Uh, check out uh, the macabre grimoire. The macar. The macar. <laughs> macar. The Macabre Grimoire page and uh, our social media. And also be sure to check out uh, if you really like what we do and want to support our work and get more of this content more often, more regularly, uh, check out our Patreon. We're part of the Sioux Empire Podcast Network, so it's patreon.com slash Falls to uh, support the show. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, have a great week, and we will see you next time. Bye! Macabre Grimoire is a production of the Sioux Learn more at macabregrimoire.com.